0: PWC IFRS Talks, your source for all things IFRS. I'm your host, Andrea Pride. In March 2021, the International Accounting Standards Board, the ISB, published a request for information on its third agenda consultation and the responses to this request for information is, are going to help shape the ISB's thinking when determining how it will prioritise its activities and what new projects it's going to add to its work plan in the period 2022 to 2026. So this is an important strategic consultation. In today's podcast I'd like to welcome Gary Berkovich and Hilary Eastman to share the perspectives on the agenda consultation. Gary, Hilary, welcome. Would you like to introduce yourselves?
1: Yeah, Hi Andrea, hi everyone, um, I'm Gary Berkowitz, I'm one of the partners in charge of PwC's Global Accounting Services and uh, apologies I've got a bit of a cold so if it sounds like I'm underwater it's not the recording quality it's, it's all me so sorry about that.
0: Uh,
2: hi everyone, I'm Hilary Eastman, I'm the Head of Global Investor Engagements at
0: PwC. Thank you, so let's start at the beginning Gary, could you tell us what the ISB work plan actually is, um, how the agenda consultation works and how the ISB goes about setting its agenda?
1: Sure, Andrea, that's a good place to start. So the work plan is really just a, a fancy word for the list of the ISB's projects, and, and it includes all their projects, and it also states all the different stages that the projects are at in the standard setting process, so whether or not they're at the discussion paper, ED, or finalization um, process. And as the projects progress as well, you know, it's usually updated after each board meeting so folks can see the relevant decisions that the board has made in terms of progressing the project. Now, every five years, the board is required by its due process handbook to undertake a public consultation on the work plan by way of a public request for information, or we'll call it an RFI as we, as we go along. Now, the aim of this consultation is to seek um, public input on the strategic direction and the balance of the board's work plan, including the criteria for how the board assess the projects that should they should add to the work plan or maybe stop looking at in the work plan. And the review also generally seeks views on the priorities that should be given to the various financial reporting matters that could be added to the work plan. So that's the the magic list we'll talk about later. Now, the ISB published their request for information or request for views, the RFI, back in March, as you mentioned. um, And it's going to analyse and consider all the feedback from the comment letters on that RFI over the coming months to decide what the board's revised work plan should look like. And the good news is the ISB generally publishes a feedback statement summarising how it considered all the input received through the commentators, so in the future we'll be able to see to what extent people were winners or or losers in terms of what they're proposing the board should do.
0: Thanks, Gary. And of course it's not about winning and losing, it's about the right answer. So in the RFI, the ISB asked three questions. Um, Is the strategic direction and balance activities right, as you alluded to? Has the board identified the right criteria for assessing the priority of issues? So everyone is always interested, most interested in the magic list, but let's just spend a little bit of time thinking about the first two questions first. What were our views on that?
1: Yes, I think it's the first time that they've actually consulted on the strategic direction, the balance of their activities. Um, I think people tend to think that mostly the ISB is issuing new standards and interpreting those standards, but that's only about 60 to 65% of what the ISB does. So the other 35% or so is allocated largely actually to stakeholder engagement, but it also I think includes time spent on digital financial reporting, IFRS for SMEs and informal communications that are on the ISP's websites. Sometimes the, the um, uh, position pieces that you see the board members, write. I think it's, It's positive that the board continues to put priority on maintaining and supporting existing standards in the work of the IFRS Interpretations Committee. And uh, I might be biased here since, you know, since application is generally where we focus. But I do think prioritising maintenance and support of of the existing standards is needed to achieve consistent application and to maintain the overall soundness and credibility of IFRS and therefore ultimately maintain its relevance um, to the reporting world. If anything, we would say that if more time is needed for this activity and there's not enough time available, then the board should probably take time from the new standards and major projects or IFRS for SMEs. That's what we were suggesting. And while we support that the, under- that the board undertakes some activities in the area of digital financial reporting, I think we believe that it's best achieved by ensuring that the board considers the way that investors consume digital information in all its projects. So when they're writing the standards, have a think about How will this translate into a digital reporting world? So while we acknowledge the importance of considering how investors consume digital financial reporting, I think in our comment letter, we were questioning whether the board itself is best placed at this time to make progress on this topic. Um, And I think we suggested that the board may be rather explore the possibility of leveraging others' work area. So that was activities. But you asked also about the board's criteria for assessing the uh, priority of issues. And the RFI identified seven criteria that the board are thinking about looking at. Um, I'm not going to repeat them, but I'd summarise them as the board is looking at the pervasiveness of topics or issues, the relevance to investors, the complexity of the issue if they take it on, and also their resource requirements if they, if they did take the issue or topic on. And I think, um, you know, in our comment later, we, we think the criteria that the board set out for prioritising the projects are sensible. Um, it's a, but I think it's important that these are applied holistically uh, and that the criteria effectively you know, if you, if you if you look at them all together, they're really trying to balance the costs and benefits in a way that maximizes value for effort. And we agree with that. I think we also think it's important that the criteria are not applied in a way that um, means the ISP won't take the more substantive projects just because, you know, they might be more difficult.
0: Okay. Thanks, Gary. Um, and I think I've seen that coming through in some of the comment letters I've read, but Hilary, can you tell us a bit about how, what we're seeing compares to what investors think? Yeah, it's a really good question.
2: And I think that investors are generally on the same page. I don't think there's anything that we view as a firm that's much different from investors, especially the point about prioritizing, maintaining existing standards. I think they're uh, they're not that interested in getting any wholesale new standards uh, at this point. Uh, they just want to kind of get make sure that the existing standards are working as intended and being applied appropriately. And I think they also broadly support the current level of focus applied by the ISB as they go about their activities. It's interesting what you say, Gary, about the focus on digital financial reporting, because uh, I think we often, with the ISB, it tends to be about the taxonomy and investors are generally less interested in the IFRS taxonomy, but they're extremely interested in digital financial reporting as a concept um, and in practice because they're, increasingly using technology and consuming and processing accounting information electronically. So they you know, obviously use their spreadsheets, but they use a lot of data information from data aggregators and starting to use new technology. So I think the way they analyze companies, both from a financial reporting perspective, but also other perspective, it's becoming far more um, complex and technologically advanced for some of them and it's moving forward quite quickly. So I think uh, the IASB taking into consideration how investors actually consume information, particularly in a digital way, will be really important. Uh, Obviously, as investors, it's gonna be no surprise that since they're the primary user of financial reporting, they have a very clear view that the focus of stakeholder engagement should be on them and the, the investor view should be prioritized. Uh, But I do often hear that they wish it could be done more effectively. So they get a lot of requests from different organizations on the same thing. So the IASB will consult on something, but then local standard setters or regional standard setters will also ask them want investor views on something. So they'll be asking the same questions around the same time. And that makes it quite difficult for investors to be able to know how to carve out their time and prioritize who they respond to. Uh, Often they do prioritize the IASB just because that's the source of where the changes will come from. Uh, They also find it difficult sometimes because project life cycles, as we know, are very, very long. So by the time a project's initiated to when the final standard comes out and then it becomes effective, that could be years. And that takes a long time. So they don't always know how their input's being used or it's not always evident that it is being used. And so that makes them sometimes a bit hesitant to... Engage. So having more feedback, I think, on a regular basis might be helpful. Uh, I think the other thing that's different with investors is that they don't have the technical resources or often even the buy-in from their boss to take the time uh, to engage on new accounting standards the way preparers or accounting firms do. You know, like we have a team, the two of you you know <laughs> that is responding to these letters, but often in the investment firms, the corporate side might but on the investor side it's really not there uh, a lot of the engagement they do then is on their own time so you could argue that the limited number of investors who do engage on accounting matters are the ones that are most passionate about this and probably the most informed uh, on it so probably should listen to a lot of what they say of course balancing it with other stakeholders
0: okay thanks Hilary. that's interesting so given their resource constraints they're really looking for some guidance on what's the most effective way to give input, which, who to most effectively give input, and also when in the project life cycle is the most effective time to give that input. Thank okay. you. Okay, so in terms of the magic list and the projects, um, the ISB gave an indication of how much capacity it expects to have for the next work plan. And that's expressed in terms of the size of projects, um, which is, you know, a fairly blunt tool, but it's, it's what we've got. Um, so they said they could take on maybe two to three large projects or a corresponding number of medium and small projects. Um, and given that the whole focus of the ISB is on the uses of financial statements, I thought I'd start with you, Hilary. Could you tell us about what projects are important to investors?
2: That's a good question, Andrea, because as you know, as you know, that every time you ask an investor something, you ask different investors, you get different answers. So everyone has their kind of pet areas that either bother them or where they really want to see improvement. But Overall, the main ones I hear most often are uh, definitely operating segments and statement of cash flows. There's also a big focus on intangible assets, but for a lot of different reasons, and some of those are quite complex reasons, so, so views are mixed on that. The priority areas are those that investors think Financial reporting is currently some, in some way deficient or lacking or impeding their ability to make well-informed investment decision or do their analysis. So starting with operating segments, that comes up time and time again. It's an ongoing problem uh, for them just because they don't feel like they get the information they need to do their bottoms up analysis. The recent amendments that came from the post implementation review haven't helped a lot, unfortunately. And actually some, I hear, some saying they're pretty upset that the opportunity to improve IFRS 8 um, for users was missed at that point. Segment reporting is uh, clearly really important. and They want more granular uh, information. They want a complete picture of the segments, and they just don't think that they're getting that, that level of information they need. On the cash flow statement, That's that was the secondary focus that I hear a lot about. The cash flow forecasts are the basis for their analysis. So it's uh, a hugely important piece of the financial statement puzzle. Uh, Because of the shortcomings of the cash flow statement, they rely on the income statement more to forecast cash flows. Uh, But oftentimes we hear that people, investors don't like the, uh, don't use the cash flow statement. So therefore the ISB shouldn't modify it. Uh, But part of the reasons it's not used is because the ISB does definitely need to modify it. So the biggest complaints about cash flow statement is the inconsistent category definitions across the primary financial statements. So it's hard to link between what's in the income statement and what's in the balance sheet. And there is a lot of aggregation in the cash flow statement and they would like that to be a bit more granular. So um, that's, that's what their concerns are on the cash flow statement.
1: Thanks, Hillary. Glad. Sorry, if I could just jump in. I'm so glad you said that. And I mean, maybe Andrea, I'll, I'll get it. I'll get my chance in a couple of minutes. But I think that's going to be a good overlap with some of the things that we've thought about, at least from the from the audit side or from PwC side.
2: Yeah, I look her- forward to hearing about that. Uh, the last one I mentioned was intangible assets. So clearly, intangibles have become more important over time. Businesses are now less capital intensive than they used to be, and there's more intangible. Uh, intangible value within a business, but the accounting for them hasn't kept pace for a number of reasons. And so they would like to see that improve. A couple other projects that do come up, one is cryptocurrencies and uh, the fact that that is becoming more and more prevalent um, in terms of transactions businesses are undertaking and using that. And the volatility that comes with it makes it difficult for them to understand. Uh, So some consistency there would be really welcomed. And discontinued operations are also a high investor priority. I know we're going to come on to climate-related risks later on, so I will leave that one for now, but that's
0: definitely something that's of interest. Okay, thanks, Hilary. And I think Intangible is also going to be featuring on um, Gary's list. So, Gary, tell us, then, we've got a slightly different lens when it comes to working with accounting standards compared to um, investors and users of financial statements. So how does what Hilary said compare to what we had to say?
1: Well, I mean maybe I'll just start out by saying I'm, I'm happy to see that there's actually a large overlap between the two and I think that's maybe no surprise because in, in coming up with our list we looked we looked at areas that we thought were important to investors and other stakeholders and I think we also looked at areas where there's been uh, a large volume of practice issues that we've had to deal with in the past indicating a potential need for change. these come about for example you know when there's when there's a known when there are known inconsistencies between the existing guidance, When the outcome required by a standard doesn't always reflect you know the economic substance of the transaction which which doesn't happen often but it does happen we also thought about where there's a lack of guidance today in particular for those which there has been a potential for diversity in practice so so without further ado i'll maybe get our onto our we keep calling our wish list or the list of projects that we think the the board should consider and maybe i'll kick off with with the one hillary was talking about so the cash flow statement this was also on our list and I think for some of the same reasons that Hillary um, pointed out, the statement is old. It's, it's IS7, very close to IS1. It was written a very long time ago. And I think uh, as time has moved on, um, there have been a lot more type of transactions which have, uh, you know, the cash flow statement in the past doesn't really cater very well for. You know, some of the examples that spring to mind are supply chain financing, um, different ways in which entities um, invest their cash and whether or not something meets the definition of a cash or cash equivalent. And just generally, I think picking up on the point Hillary made, you know, whether or not the the detail that's in the cash flow statement, which is a primary financial statement, is far, far um, less if you compare it to the other other primary financial statements. And I think for those reasons, we think it probably needs a a full-on overhaul. The second item on our list, so I think we'd say that's a big project. And then the second one we said was also a big project, which again, glad of the overlap with Hillary there, is intangible assets. And I think, yeah, the standard isn't as old as the cash flow statement um, standard, but um, the world has moved on incredibly fast since i 38 was issued. So if you think of when i IS38 was issued, the majority of companies in the major markets, uh, their value was, um, was contained in tangible assets. As time has moved on, you look at the market cap and the, and the, the classification of the biggest companies in the world. They all seem to be companies whose value is mainly contained in their intangibles and a lot of those aren't actually recognized on the balance sheets and sometimes the disclosure around those intangibles is also potentially lacking. Um, so I think we, we, we included that and just maybe picking up the points on cryptocurrencies, I think we would probably think that if the board picked up intangibles as a major standard, they could probably fix or at least find a solution to, to cryptos when they when they do that. So that's where we think that all that has a potential solution. And then some that maybe weren't on, on Hillary's list. I think we've added uh, going concern, which we, we see as a not a major project, but potentially improving the disclosures around going concern. And I think again, maybe it's the current environment uh, that we we found ourselves in from due to COVID from a financial perspective. I think it just put a massive spotlight on the fact that you know the the, the requirements now for us around going concern are very light, and we we think that that's probably an area where the board could do um, a better job potentially on. Um, helping companies understand the types of disclosures and mandating the types of disclosures that should be required to help investors understand, you know, the longer term prospects of the company and the risks that they face. Um, and one thing that, that we have that Hillary also didn't mention is, and maybe because it's a bit techie, but that's um, variable and contingent consideration um, that, that, uh, that may result from the acquisition of an item of PPE or an intangible. And for us i guess this has been an area where there have been long-standing issues and it's prevalent amongst many companies and there's a la- there's there's a number of different pro- approaches that are therefore applied so you're going to buy a piece of ppe but the way in which you're going to pay is linked to some type of variability so you don't actually know on the day you get the ppe or intangible how much you're actually going to pay and because of that it, you know it's resulted in diversity and practice and therefore we think a lack of decision useful information So we're also suggesting that the board consider whether um, our standard on PPE and intangibles should be amended to provide guidance for when companies buy those types of assets and pay via a variable or contingent consideration.
2: Gary, I think that's actually a great example of where the practical issues of applying particular standards just aren't evident from the outside. So it's hard to get investors to see it as a priority area because they just don't know enough about this being an issue. Uh, and there's not a lot of disclosure around it
0: so okay so there's been Hillary you mentioned ESG earlier and there's been quite a lot of interest in reporting around ESG and sustainability reporting um, and they're not really on your top three on either list um, but surely that doesn't mean you don't think it's not important
1: yeah maybe I, maybe I can jump in here first and then Hillary can chip in so I think there's maybe a, a couple of things worth mentioning here Andrea and the, the first would be that we thought the, the ISB did a great job at the end of last year issuing some really helpful educational material on how the existing IFRS standards incorporates climate-related risks and requirements uh, that entities should be considering when they recognise, measure and disclose items in their financial statements. And I guess we think that if, if entities consider those areas appropriately um, and to the extent that they, that those issues are material there should be some really good information on how climate risks uh, affect financial statements. And I think because of the additional focus on this by investors, regulators, auditors as well, I, I'm hoping that the, the disclosures folks are looking for maybe to improve without needing to, to go too crazy there. And the second point I'd make is that, you know, we note that the, the IFRS Foundation is currently considering the formation of a new International Sustainability Standards Board, or I'll call it the ISSB, and although there's there's currently an understanding of a lack, or a lack of clarity about how the ISB and the ISSB will operate together, I think we believe that collaboration between these two boards would provide the best value for effort with respect to, I guess, a holistic solution to reporting around environmental issues. And so I think what we therefore suggested is that the, the ISB should allow sufficient time in its work plan for participation in the broader debates on sustainability reporting and for integration between the two boards. I think so, sorry, so in summary, we aren't saying that the ISB shouldn't look at ESG and sustainability issues, but I think we're suggesting the ISB consider waiting until the uncertainty uh, about the interactions between the two boards is resolved before they develop accounting requirements for things that they had in their, in their um, potential work plan, for example, pollutant pricing mechanisms and, and climate related risks.
2: Gary, I think that that's a really, those really important points that you raised about the interaction between the IASB and the ISSB and Andrea to your question earlier about whether ESG is important, it absolutely is important to investors. And we're seeing that more and more as they try to look at a more holistic picture of the business, whether it's in the financial reporting, financial performance and other aspects. So we're hearing um, from investors that they're, they're very much in agreement with this, the connectivity and collaboration between the IASB and the ISSB will of course be important because it's going to be necessary to know uh, which disclosures should be dealt with by which board to make sure that climate risks and opportunities and as they move forward with other types of ESG matters uh, that they're not omitted or double counted. So that's gonna need to be done consistently. Another important area that we've been hearing is that the ISSB should not just have knowledge and experience of sustainability and environmental matters but also an understanding of financial reporting and financial analysis so that the financial impacts of non-financial factors are taken into account so i guess that gets back to the double materiality uh, inside out and outside in kind of perspective they want to make sure that both boards can see the interaction and the interdependencies between the different information that they're requiring be disclosed one Final point on climate risk is because uh, that's been in the spotlight recently. Um, we know that investors are, are are very clear that if climate risk is affecting financial performance or the financial position of a company, that it should be reflected in the assumptions underlying the financial statements. And the IASB guidance on that and I know FASB's put out guidance on that and IAASB has put out guidance on that um, just highlighting areas of financial reporting where this could be an issue so for example useful lives of PP&E and the depreciation and impairment considerations that might come along with that. Uh, investors have been really clear um, that they think that the longer term climate risk exposure of a company needs to be considered in preparing accounts, but also making sure that the IASB and the ISSB work together on making sure that that's done in a consistent, holistic way.
0: Thanks, Hilary. So there's an important interaction, there's always going to be an important interaction between the the financial and non-financial information there. Um, Okay, so last point on this podcast, Um, it's also interesting to note that in the US, the Financial Accounting Standards Board, FASB, is also consulting on its agenda at at this time. Now, I know that convergence is not an active priority for either board at the moment, but um, it it is in the background. And can you share any thoughts, Gary, on the FASB's consultation and and, um, what we're thinking about that?
1: Yeah, so, so... PwC has responded to the FASB consultation and, and this is logically being led by our, our colleagues in the US. Now, although some of the key issues in our responses to the, the ISB are converged with our views in the US, so for example, um, intangible assets, there, there are differences, but I think that's as a result of our US folks identifying different areas under US GAAP that they think the FASB needs to focus on based on the outreach they've performed um, with their US uh, stakeholders. So, for example, there isn't a standard on government grants under US GAAP. So, you know, PwC will likely suggest that it's on the list for the FASB. And while there are some significant practice issues with our own IFRS standard IS-20 on on government grants, I think we thought this was not as big a priority for us. And so it didn't make it onto our our ISB wish list. Now, the folks in the US will be recording a separate podcast on the FASB consultation. So, So if our listeners are interested in the details of the FASB consultation, I suggest looking out for that in a month or so. And maybe maybe the last thing I'd maybe add there, uh, Andrea, to your points around convergence. I think it's also quite important that in our letter to the to the FASB, I think we actually still made a point that we think that should be one of the key focus areas for the FASB when looking at their priorities of of projects and considering their activities.
2: I would just um, reiterate what Gary said, I mean for investors international comparability is really important and ideally similar transactions and activities would be reported in the same way, regardless of which accounting standard you're using, if it's US GAAP or IFRS. So they think would be supportive of the IASB collaborating with the FASB and coordinating their priority projects as far as they possibly can. I just want to make one comment on government grants, since you mentioned that Gary. There is a concern with investors about how this has become a much more significant item for a lot of companies. It's not something that you typically would have seen like two or three years ago. Uh, but given the assistance that many companies have been given from governments during the pandemic, uh, there is a concern that comparability might become an issue. So this might be one for the Interpretations Committee to watch and one for us to kind of look out for too.
0: Okay, thank you. So thanks Hilary and Gary for joining me and sharing your views on the agenda consultation for the ISB. Um, In in terms of the next steps, the ISB is expecting to start discussing feedback on this RFI in the final quarter of 2021. And in the second quarter of 2022, the ISB expects to publish a feedback statement summarising the feedback, I mentioned this at the very beginning, and its activities and work plan for 2022 to 2026. So for more information, um, the PwC comment letter on the ISB's third agenda consultation is now publicly available on the ISB uh, website. It's comment letter 27, if anyone's looking for it. And it will be interesting to see what the ISB does with all the input that it's getting. For now, though, that brings me to the end of this podcast. Thank you for listening. Stay safe and happy accounting.
1: The preceding program was brought to you by PricewaterhouseCoopers
2: LLP. This content is for general information purposes and is not a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.